Hey, hey, what's up? What's up? Uh, good morning and good afternoon or good evening, wherever you are and wherever you're listening uh, to this uh, new podcast called the Unworthy Servant Podcast. I mean, I don't know how new you call it. I guess I mean, I guess it still is new. We're in our third episode uh, of the show um, and I'm excited about this one. This is a heavyweight one for sure. Um, my name is Michael Board and I'm the host and I'm also one of many unworthy servants that Jesus refers to in uh, Luke 17. Uh, and I'd just like to say grace and peace to you all. And uh, I just want to give a special shout out to my brother, Jared Williams. This past Sunday, he was ordained. Uh, he is a brother who I've known since I was a teenager. Uh, we used to be in a youth group together. And I just want to say that the Lord used him and another brother, John Mosley, as examples of what a godly teenager looked like. So I love you, man, and I love you, brother, and I love you with the love of uh, of, of our Lord uh, Jesus, brother. Uh, and so I hope that this past Lord's Day was one that was filled with ways to help you uh, to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and I hope that you were able to encourage a brother or sister and that you were able to be encouraged by them as well, too, to continue to grow in, in the faith and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, grow in the good deeds and bear fruit and becoming more and more like our elder brother. I also hope that you were encouraged to walk in a manner worthy uh, of the Lord and encouraged to find ways to be fully pleasing to him and that you were encouraged to bear fruit in every good work so that you may be be able to increase in the knowledge of God, as Paul says in Colossians 1.10. I hope that you were able to stir one another up in genuine love and affection for one another. Um, so today we're going to uh, continue in the attributes of God. We will be touching on the sovereignty of God. And in the next episode, episode four, we will be on the providence of God. So, Originally, I did these uh, two ep uh, these two attributes together, and I called them the twin attributes. But I feel that uh, it's best to break the these twin attributes up. So what I'm going to do is this. That's why I'm doing this episode as the sovereignty of God, and the next episode as the providence of God. Again, this is a compilation of studies that I have gathered from others, along with my personal notes, and I'm going to always give credit to whom it's due. Uh, and if I don't remember uh, who, who it is, I, I will definitely make sure to put it somewhere uh, there. Um, and my notes are built on the shoulders of other godly men, as I stated before, and I will always state that again. Uh, I'm not uh, one person just out here trying and one, one person pretending like I know it all as well. So this so I just want to start this off with another quote from Paul Washer. All right. Just to start this off, he said one of the greatest things that is needed today when uh, would seem to be one of the simplest things, and yet it is desperately needed. So he goes on to say, one of the reasons why the people of God suffer weak and language without nourishment is for two reasons. First, they don't know who God is. And second, they don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, he says in another sermon that the first step in the gospel, uh, into the gospel, is not uh, the sin of men, but the knowledge of God, that is knowing God. The task of the preacher is to study the attributes of God until you burn with them. I love that he said that. Uh, until you burn with the attributes of God. He says further uh, that the preacher is to reveal to, to, uh, to the people through the proclamation of the word and they will see their sin. When we preach in the streets, 
in the pulpit, wherever we preach, we are to preach the attributes of God. And in light of that, uh, every dark spot will be clearly seen. That's a really dope quote. I, I, I like that. So if you can't tell, uh, uh, I listen to Paul Washer a lot, you know, uh, and if the Lord wills, I love to have him on uh, the show one day and just really talk with him and pick his brain. But like I said, I listen to him a lot. And if you listen to Washer enough, he says that the gospel cannot be rightly understood apart from knowing the attributes of God. So this should not just be a strong conviction of one man, right? This just shouldn't be the strong conviction of Paul Washer. But brothers and sisters, yo, that should be the conviction of the church globally and especially the conviction of the local church, period. Knowing the attributes of God. So uh, he goes on to say, because of these, uh, those two uh, things, that is, that is not knowing God rightly, nor knowing the gospel of Jesus. He says, and I quote, people have no power to love God and no power to serve him. Uh, that, that, that's, that's very interesting that he says that. And, 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 and I totally agree that like people don't have a power to love God and the power to serve him because they don't know who him rightly and they don't know the gospel. So Paul Washer goes on to say further, uh, if I were to hand out a sheet of paper to each one of you and say, I, I want you to write on the front and the back and explain to me using scriptures of all the major attributes of God define them for me and tell me who God is in the scriptures. Most couldn't do it. That's what he says, end quote. And if that was not convicting, if that quote is not convicting for you, then maybe this one will be. He goes on further to say, and I quote, the Bible tells us that wise men shouldn't boast in their wisdom and strong men in their strength. But he who boasts should boast in this, that they know the Lord, that they know me. That's what the Lord says. So, the greatest hour of idolatry, Washer goes on to say, is on Sunday morning in churches every week uh, than anywhere else in the world. So why is it the case? Washer answers because people are worshiping a God who is not the true God. Since they don't know uh, what the Bible really teaches about God, the God they worship is a God they made with their own mind and a God who looks a lot like them. We make a God in our own image and then worship the God uh, who we made, like uh, Psalm, 15, Psalm 115 says, and like Isaiah says as well, too. See, I share this same burden with Paul Washer, y'all. This is the reason why on this particular episode, along with other episodes on this podcast, my burden and my goal uh, for men and women, for boys and girls, is to understand and know God. I want for this episode and many others to be an encouragement for the church to know God properly. But what's sad is this, and Washa said this, uh, is that when we preach on the attributes of God, and yo, like I've seen this with my own eyes and heard this with my own ears. When we preach on the attributes of God, so many get angry or confused. And hear what Washa says. Uh, he says, when I begin to talk about the sovereignty of God, the justice of God, the wrath of God, the holiness of God, even the hatred of God, all things the Bible speaks about. A lot of people in the church today jump up and say, that's not my God. I could never love a God like that, or I could never serve or follow a God like that. The reason is because the God they love, Washer adds, is a God they made up in their own mind. End quote. Therefore, people have itching ears and want teachers that will only soothe and give them what they want to hear. That's what's going on here, man. So with that as an introduction to today's episode, 
I hope you heard those warnings by the brother, and I hope that if you want to hear those quotes again from him, I encourage you to play the early parts of this episode again. You know, uh, so as we move on, I just want to say that there are so many people who think that just just because they think that they think just they think that that we would just come up with de- definitions and slap them on to any given attribute. So before we define the sovereignty and providence of God in the next episode, I'd like to draw your attention to two texts from the scriptures that speak on, the, on, on both of these twin attributes. So Psalm uh, 33 verse 10 says this, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. Again, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. Moving on to Isaiah 46 verses 9 to 11. This hear the word of the Lord. This is the Lord saying this. He says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will account- accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from east, from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. And that's again, Isaiah 46 verses 9 to 11. So here again are these twin doctrines, the attributes of God, the sovereignty of God and the, uh, the providence of God. See, these passages and others like it function in a way that lets us know where these doctrines come from. All doctrine comes from the Bible. All biblical doctrine stems from the word of God. Many call this attribute, the sovereignty of God, the bedrock doctrine of the Christian faith. And I would even like to add the providence of God uh, to this. And that should be one of these bedrocks as well, too. So both of these, in my opinion, are bedrock doctrines of the faith. So my goal will be for us to understand what it means for us to say that God is sovereign. And in the next episode, we will see how providence relates to his sovereignty. All right. So first, uh, I will define the term sovereignty and look at what the scriptures say about the Lord and him as a sovereign one. And second, uh, we will seek to understand some of the implications and applications uh, for our, our, our lives from this text and from this doctrine for sure. Before we move on, though, uh, I have another preliminary thing that I want to say. As I was studying these twin doctrines, I find myself feeling much like the late Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, in a sermon that he preached in the early parts of the 20th century, he said this, and I quote, he said, There can be no doubt at all, but that this doctrine uh, is at the present time is a very important one for us to consider. So listen up, because Lloyd-Jones continues to say, every biblical doctrine, of course, is important, and we must not take any single one for for granted. But if you look at the long history of the church, you will find that in different times and in different centuries, some doctrines assume a particular importance. That's dope, y'all. So considering what the doctor said, right, (laughs) uh, my question is this. Why are these twin doctrines of, our, of particular importance in this hour of the church, in this hour of church history, why are these two twin doctrines important for us? So Lloyd-Jones gives some reasons why, and he gives three reasons why. Uh, they're still relevant, and really, they're relevant for us today. These three, really, these three reasons are relevant for us today. The first is that out of the current state of the world, that's the first one. Because of the current state of the world, that's why these doctrines are important. 
Secondly, we have heard and read about divine and special providential interventions of God, both uh, corporately and individually. So that's the second reason why Lloyd-Jones says. But the third one, I think, is, is a very important one. The third reason to why these twin doctrines are particular, particularly important and have particular importance in the 19th century, in the 1900s, as well as in the 20, 21st century, 2021, going into 2022, Lord willing, is that so many people use science or scientism to try and explain away certain phenomenons apart from the hand of God. Now, yo, that is that's the real reason why this is important for us. Therefore, these twin doctrines are very important because they can speak to all three of these concerns, both in the 20th and 21st century. So along with the doctor, what he said, I like to add my two cents to what the doctor said, uh, which uh, can help us understand why these twin doctrines of are of they are of particular importance for us today. We live in a day and age where so much of what we see in the church and out of the church is focused on the religion of meism, where me-centric thinking tries to eclipse a Christ-centered, Christocentric way of life. Now, I want to say that again. Uh, we live in a day and age where so many uh, people and so much of the teaching in the church and outside of the church definitely is focused on the religion of meism, where me-centric thinking tries to eclipse a Christ-centered, Christocentric way of life. Now, that me-ism and me-centric thinking, I'm borrowing that from uh, um, J.I. Packer. This is the way to say that much of the focus in Christian worship, from the songs to the preaching, even to the coffee. I mean, I like coffee, but even to the coffee is centered on what we want and not what God wants. Behind my concern here is the proper worship of God and the fact that scripture is the only place to know how he wants us to worship him and how he wants to be worshiped. So a Christ's uh, Christocentric, God-centered way of life, rightly understood, is found in these twin doctrines of sovereignty of providence, where we get from the Bible as well. When speaking of sovereignty, A.W. Pink says in his book um, that it is the foundation of all Christian theology and is the center of gravity in the system of Christian truth. He goes on to say it is the sun around uh which all of the other planets circle. Again, Pink was speaking about the sovereignty. However, we can use uh, this for the providence of God as well. So these twin doctrines are what John Piper says, the continental divide of theology, which separates the men from the boys. All right. And following this same idea, Dr. Stephen Lawson adds that one drop of water on one side of this mountain ridge uh, and continental divide flows into an ocean of man-centered religion, man-centered ministry, man-centered worship, and man-centered evangelism. But one drop of truth on this side of the continental divide flows into an ocean of God-centered living, God-centered worship, God-centered evangelism, and God-centered missions. Lawson's killing it right there when he says that too. And Lawson really goes on uh, to say that, the, that this continental divide is this, truth. That God is absolutely sovereign. Again, the continental divide uh, of this uh, uh, that 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 both of these men are talking about is this truth that God is absolutely sovereign. And I would like to add that God demonstrates His sovereignty in providence, which we will look at again next week. But we're really looking at sovereignty here. So, with that said, I like to uh, like for us to understand the first of these twin doctrines. 
uh, with humility, with awe, and with reverence for the God who is above us all and who saved us and called us to himself. We will only go as far as scripture takes us. And so I'm not going to be going beyond that. And my prayer uh, for us, uh, for myself, for you all who are listening, is that we may be able to know our great God deeply and more uh, uh, deeper than we have known him and that uh, we will tell others about him. So now looking at this, the sovereignty of God, I like for us to look at Psalm uh, 103 verse uh, Psalm 103 verse 19. All right. Psalm 103 verse 19. OK. And David says this in Psalm 103 verse 19. Uh, he says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. This psalm is an amazing one because David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. We've heard songs like that. Verse two says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Right. So Psalm 103 ends with a fourfold bless the Lord, ending in verse 22 with bless the Lord, O my soul. This psalm is amazing because David begins with bless the Lord, O my soul, followed by a threefold blessing and ends with bless the Lord, O my soul. So there are three major reasons why uh, that, that three major observations that I see why the Holy Spirit through David is calling his first readers and us to bless the Lord. OK, so the first one. The beginning blessing and the ending blessing function as an inclusio or a book ending, which brackets this psalm. OK, and so everything from verses three to 18 builds up to verse 19, which says the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So verses uh, three to 18 emphasizes the, the benefits, right? This emphasizes the benefits, the righteous deeds and the righteous works of the Lord especially in salvation and in forgiveness. And we see that in verses three to 13. All right. Again, looking at verses uh, three to 18, in a sense, uh, gives us reasons for why we are to bless the Lord. Right. And so uh, I'm borrowing this from Lawson, Dr. Steve Lawson. He says that everything in between verses three to 19 uh, are the reason for which we are to raise up and bless the Lord. In other words, our doxology, that is our praise to God, must be built on a firm theology. I love that, yo. Uh, uh, which is to say that the firm theology uh, in this psalm is found in verses uh, 3 to 18. All right. So the reason why we're to praise the Lord, we can find those reasons in verses 3 to 18. And they build up to verse 19. So this is the second reason why. These also emphasizes the finite frailty of man and the infinite, eternal, everlastingness of the Lord who keeps covenant. And we see that in verses uh, 14 to 18. You may be thinking, OK, but what does that what does that have to do with the sovereignty of God? Well, the third major reason to bless the Lord is this, because the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all right in verse 19. That's banging. So the word uh, in Hebrew for kingdom is Malkut, uh, and it means royal power, dominion or reign. This announces that God is above or superior to all others. Um, and I'm borrowing this again from uh, Steve Lawson. And he is chief. He is greatest. He is highest. He is supreme in power and rank and authority. 
So that's what this means for him to be uh, have the kingdom and have uh, sovereignty. So even though, check this out, y'all, because even though in the ESV, that's the version I use, in the ESV it says kingdom, uh, the word Malkuth uh, can also be translated as sovereignty. Therefore, the reason we are called to bless the Lord is because David wants for the people of God uh, to ascribe glory and give to God the honor that he uh, is due to him, due his name. Why? So this is, this is a real question. So why? Why does David want us to bless the Lord and ascribe glory to God? Because the Lord's throne is in the heavens, right? The Lord's throne is in the heavens. His throne is above all thrones and rule and powers in the world. And as Psalm uh, 115 says, Psalm 115 clearly says, not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to you give uh, the glory. Uh, and then verse two says, we should, uh, why should uh, the nation say, where is your God? Our God is in the heavens and he does as he pleases. All right. So again, like he's sovereign, he does as he pleases. So there's no king, there's no queen, there's no prime minister, there's no senator, there's no president, a good, a good dictator, an evil dictator who is above God. There is none. There's no city, no state, no country or nation above God. We are to bless him because he is sovereign and his sovereignty rules everywhere and everywhere he is. Matter of fact, you know, so it rules everywhere and everywhere he is. So, see, I just want to say this real quick as a sidebar. All of his attributes are connected to his being and he has each one fully. So that's really connected to the simplicity of God. He doesn't have his attributes in part. So we see his sovereignty in what he, it means for him to be omnipresent. All right. So this and this is what I'm saying. Wherever he is, that's where his sovereignty is. This is all because his sovereignty is connected to his omnipresence because his comprehensive rule is everywhere and everywhere present in the universe. The sovereignty of God relates to the transcend to him being transcendent because he is high and lifted up. You know, as a bunch of the Psalms and Isaiah speaks of. So now I want you all to listen to what Dr. Steve Lawson says here again about the sovereignty. He says divine sovereignty means that God holds the position of the highest ruler reigning over all angelic and earthly powers. All right. So that that, that that's banging right there. So I just wanted to uh, take you uh, take a step back and look at what the scriptures say about this, too. Now, in Paul's first letter to Timothy. Paul reminds Timothy uh, to fight the good fight of faith, right? By keeping the good confession in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 15, right? So the natural question uh, would be this. What is part of that good confession, right? <laughs> so Paul uh, says that in the good confession about Jesus, Jesus is the blessed, uh, the blessed and only sovereign king of kings and lord of lords. So sovereignty is also related to omnipotence. So again, Psalm 103 verse 19 says that his kingdom and sovereignty rules over all. So the word for sovereignty uh, in Greek is dunastes. Um, and our English word uh, is dynasty and is derived from this word dunastes. You see. We got it all twisted sometimes. Let me keep it real with y'all. We got it all twisted sometimes, right? Because when we speak about dynasties in our culture, uh, we're talking about 
a basketball team, a football team, you know, uh, or a baseball team because such and such team has won so many X amount of championships. In a sense, they run or rule over the league until knocked off uh, of the so-called throne and stuff, you know. So that, that that's why we call them dynasties. So the word dynasty really means, uh, literally means ruler uh, or officer or one who is of great authority, might or potentate. Uh, I like that word potentate. So what's comforting about our great God is this, y'all, that no one can knock him off the throne, right? No one can claim his dynasty. No one can knock him off the throne because he is the only potentate. He's the only sovereign one. And some translations, actually, 1 Timothy 6 uh, verse 15, it uses the word potentate in place of sovereign because the word potentate is in the word om omnipotent. This means then that Jesus is the only almighty, all-powerful, sovereign king. He is the only potentate ruler of all because, he's, because he reigns supreme over everything. And he is reigning right now over everything. His inheritance was, his inheritance is the nations, he has the nations, and he's ruling over the nations right now, seated, seated at the right hand of the Father. So, now with, with that said, let's listen to some uh, of the other Psalms that speak about the supreme rule uh, of the Lord and the supreme reign of the Lord. So, for example, Psalm 93 verse 1 says this, The Lord reigns, he is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, he has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Psalm 96 verse 10 uh, says this. Uh, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the Lord, the, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Uh, he will judge the peoples with equity. All right. And also let's 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 look at uh, uh, 98 verse 9. All right. Let me get there. 98 verse 9, because 98 verse 9 says this before the Lord. Uh, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So as a sovereign judge, he's doing that. All right. Also, Psalm 91, Psalm 97, verse one says the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many uh, coastlands be glad. All right. And then Psalm 99, verse nine uh, says the Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. Uh, he sits enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth uh let the let, let let the earth quake. And also, uh look at verses uh uh two to five in that same psalm. It says the Lord is the great uh the Lord is great in Zion, he is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. So this holiness is connected to his sovereignty as well, too. That's what it says right there in verse three. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity, you have executed justice. Uh, and righteousness in Jacob, exalt the Lord, our God worship at his footstool. Holy is he. So there's a bunch of attributes that are connected to his sovereignty here, yo. Right. So his justice is connected to it. He has executed justice, equity, his equity is connected to it. Um, his holiness, like I said, and his righteousness is, you know, so what do these Psalms tell us about uh, the Lord? First off, let me back up. These Psalms are really cool because these are what are known as the enthronement Psalms uh, of the Lord, because you hear over and over again, the Lord is uh, enthroned uh, and all that. So these are the throne Psalms here. So what do these Psalms tell us about the Lord? Right. They simply tell us that he reigns, <laughs> right? He reigns uh, over and over again. It says he reigns. 
God does not have a shared sovereignty. That's that. That's what this is telling us here. Uh, where he's where he co reigns with with man. He doesn't co reign with man. There's no such thing uh, as the sovereignty of Satan. The uh, despite what a lot of people think, Satan is not sovereign. Therefore, he doesn't reign with God jointly in some kind of type of dualistic yin and yang fight uh, 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 of good versus evil type way. And this is not a fight between two equal parties. No, not at all. And once we understand that, when we hold to the sovereignty of God, we could say with Martin Luther that the devil is God's devil. Now, we need to understand that for real, for real, because we need to understand what it means for him to be the God, uh, for the devil to be God's devil, uh, because this is what it means. He only gives him permission to do certain things in one area and at one time because the devil is not omnipresent. The devil is not sovereign, nor is he uh, supreme, because like you and me, he is a creature made by God. Therefore, he uh, is not and we are not. Uh, we don't have God like uh, attributes uh, would make us God like. Right. There's certain attributes that God shares with us, but there's certain ones that he doesn't. All right. Now, think about this too, Paul in Acts 13. Check it out. Acts 13, verse 34. Uh, he says this, uh, in relation to the resurrection of our Lord, and he gives proof uh, for the res resurrection of our Lord when he says that he was given the holy and sure blessings of David. Since he has the holy and sure blessings of David, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's what this is telling us, right? So his sovereignty, so his sovereignty and his sovereignty, uh, reigns supreme and he reigns supreme as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's what he is. And that's exactly what Revelation says. Um, Revelation 19, he is king of kings and Lord of lords. So these Psalms, along with what Paul tells us, should bring comfort to us in these days, right? Like it really should bring comfort to us. The fact that the Lord God sovereignly rules and reigns should comfort us because the scriptures teach us that the Lord reigns now, not later. We're not waiting for him to reign later. He reigns now and right now. We aren't waiting for him to reign later when he returns or that or or that he did reign and then someone greater came along to remove him and reigns now. No, perish the thought, y'all. The Lord reigns. All right. He reigns now. And this is comfort. This this should be comforting to us with all that's going on with us. For real. With all the global turmoil that's going on all the time among the nations, the nations are always raging. Some nations don't even know why they rage. They're raging against him. The wars uh, in the Middle East, nuclear talks off and on, and world ruler, rulers always coming together, seem to come together to discuss is issues like in the global summit in the summertime, coming together to, to discuss climate concerns, you know, and the like. You know, it was very interesting about these climate concerns. It seems to me that like they want to they want to have a climate. They want to, you know, have the climate take care of the climate. You know, so that they can live in it and do more sin. They don't want to steward it as like what we're called to do. You know, uh, all the other things that's going on. There's a lot of turmoil still. All the crime we see in our cities. I mean, in Philly alone, we're going to be close to 500 murders, uh, 500 homicides in our city, man. Um, babies being murdered in the womb, justice being misused and at the same time confused and abused, all that. So. But there's comfort because we shouldn't fret, y'all. And think about it. This scripture says, fret not yourself because of evildoers, right? So 
This is what David says, right? In Psalm uh, 37, verse one, be not envious of evildoers. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way over the one man who carries out evil devices. Now, this is comforting, y'all. It's easy for us to fret, right? It's easy for us to worry about the things we see in the world. We get mad. We get upset. We get angry. I mean, it's easy to. That's hard to do. That, that's hard to do these uh, things in these days because we want to see justice. We want justice right now. Right. You know, it's hard for, for, for some of us. But what does David tell us in uh, Psalm 37, verse eight? Right. In Psalm 37, verse eight, he says, refrain from anger and focus and, and forsake wrath. So do you think that David doesn't understand, doesn't know what it's like to feel like how we feel when we see evil things happening around us in our world? David wasn't some type of superhuman. I mean, read the scriptures. He wasn't. We're not called to be like David. He wasn't some superhuman who didn't feel some some way about the evil in the world. He was a sinful human like us, and he felt some type of way about it. And he knows what it's like to be fretting in, in situations and have fretting situations around him. But one thing that's true that we can learn about David is David trusted in, in the Lord and in the sovereign plan of God. Uh, he has a plan for all the evil. God has a plan for all the evil we see and all the evil that happens to us. Again, think about Job, you know, let us. So 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 he, so here's the encouragement. Right. And this is exactly what he says uh, in this psalm um, in verse seven. So let us wait patiently on the Lord. Right. Let us wait patiently on the Lord. Easier said than done. I trust me. I understand. This is why, again, David says. Right after that, uh, in the same verse, fret not yourself. And David says again, because it only tends to evil, right? Now, when we're stewing over something, when we're thinking over something, right? Um, I mean, uh, uh, David even says this uh, in Psalm 39. Like when I'm stewing over something, when I'm thinking about it on my bed, uh, I mused over it. The fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. You know, I became distressed. I grew. It grew worse. And when I did, I couldn't even talk about it and stuff, you know, like David knows what that's what, what that feels like, you know. And so. That's what goes on with us. We want vengeance and we want it in our own way, but this is why we shouldn't fret. OK, but really, the real question is, why shouldn't we fret, though? Right. Because the evildoers, as it says uh, in um, verse nine, the evildoers um, shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Now, I love that because on Sunday we were uh, in Matthew five looking at the Beatitudes and the Beatitude that we saw in verse five says uh, that the meek will inherit the earth. That's that. That's the blessing for the meek. OK, so which should really connect us to verse two in, in, in Psalm 37, that what he says about the evildoers, they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Right. So that, that that's that that's banging right here, you know. And so as we wait for Jesus, as we're waiting for Jesus to return, we wait for his plan to be done. And this is what it means to thirst and hunger for righteousness. We thirst and hunger for righteous for his righteous rule to be realized over all the earth, just as we're to pray uh, uh, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Psalm 37, in all actuality, brothers and sisters, right, is connected to the sovereignty of God and trusting uh, in that in that sovereignty. 
See, we should take comfort because the Lord reigns, right? Oh, I love that, y'all. The Lord reigns. Uh, he does not take counsel. The Lord, right? He doesn't take counsel with the world leaders at a round table to debate what's best to do. He doesn't do that. He does not rule like R.C. Sproul is known for saying by referendum. No, he doesn't rule like that. He reigns supreme and he reigns freely and absolutely. So in his reign, he has a plan for all the evil we see and all the evil that happens to us. So let us again, like I said, wait patiently on the Lord. So he's not voted in the office, nor does he have uh, term limits. Right. Praise God. Right. Nor is there separation and balance of powers uh, in his rule at all. Not at all. He doesn't need a Supreme Court because he is himself the supreme judge and the just one who executes justice justly. Right. No one can impeach him at all. Right. <laughs> no one can. Even though people want to, they can't. That's why he sits in heaven and he laughs, as Psalm 2 says. And that's why he has his anointed already installed, as Psalm 2 says. His anointed one, the Messiah. He doesn't reign by democracy, nor by republic, nor by oligarchy. He has absolute theocratic reign over everything, over all things. Therefore, right? Therefore, y'all. We shouldn't deny, uh, we, we shouldn't, uh, we, so wait, let me back up. We should deny the false idea and superstition known as good or bad karma because it's not sovereign, right? People talk about good and bad karma like it's sovereign and it's not. Or good and bad luck because they don't rule either. Blind faith is not sovereign. Blind faith is not sovereign at all. The many circumstances that we find ourselves in are not sovereign either. Therefore, they don't rule or reign over us. The stars don't rule or reign over us either. And this is good because you hear many people talk about the alignment of the planets. Oh, the stars are aligned this way. So uh, that means they're sovereign. No, they don't have no sway over us. They're not sovereign over us uh, in our everyday affairs or in our lives. Man doesn't rule. And again, man doesn't co-rule with God and neither do the stars. They don't co-rule with them either. Think about what Genesis 1 says. He made the the moon and the sun and oh, he made the stars. <laughs> it's just a passing statement. So we should reject, as uh, Stephen Lawson says, any pagan idea or any myth that random chance or fortune uh, have any say. So my brother, uh, my brother, Dre, who was uh, co-teaching uh, this uh, sermon series over the summer uh, about the attributes, he said this. And I love this quote that he said. We don't follow the Epicurean worldview that chalks everything up to chance. Nor are we to, to have the Stoic worldview, which says that the world is governed and ruled by fate. See, the Epicureans thought that it was all about chance. And Stoics think that it's all about fate. No, not at all. It's not about that. It's about the sovereignty of a personal person on the throne. God himself, you know, a personal God. So my wife and I will let me let me say this. My wife really watches a lot of HDTV. I watch it with her. And times uh, I'll hear people say on there, certain people talk about feng shui, right? And I just want to say this, that feng shui is not sovereign in your house at all. Feng shui is not sovereign in your house either. No, God and God alone is sovereign and his sovereignty rules over the universe, over the whole universe. For the Lord, the most high is to be feared, as uh, Daniel says, a great king over all the earth. 
God is the king over all the earth who sits enthroned as king forever. And I love this quote here by Stephen Charnock. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling this one out of the, the, uh, the quiver of sovereignty quotes right here. You know what I'm saying? Stephen Charnock, when he was talking about the sovereignty of God, listen to this, man, because this is banging. He wrote about God saying that God's sovereignty originally resided in his own nature. It resides in his nature. That is, it is who he is. He did not derive it by birth or by commission. No one didn't say, oh, you're sovereign. Let's put you on the throne. God is the sole cause of his own kingdom and sovereignty. Did y'all hear that? My man Charnock is saying God is the sole cause of his own kingdom and sovereignty. So this is the God of the Bible, y'all. All right. This is our sovereign God. This is as Lawson and a lot of guys say, this is big God theology right here. Not little God theology that we hear all across the pulpits in America. In these days, and in some of the songs we hear about God, this small idea of God, consider what has been laid out about the sovereignty of God. That's what I want you to do. I, want, I just want you to consider this. Um, and I have a question for you. <laughs> and this is the question that I heard from uh, uh, Lawson as well. Are you a big Godder or are you a small Godder? A big Godder is one who understands that God is sovereign and a small Godder is one who doesn't. So let's recap. This is a recap here. Let's recap what we have been talking about uh, in, in relation to the sovereignty of God. So the sovereignty of God means this, that God is the only one who has royal power dominion, and dominion because he only he is the only one who reigns supreme over all creation. Again, let me say that again. God is the only one who has royal power and dominion because he alone reigns supreme over all creation. There's no part of creation that doesn't have him reigning over it, over it. The sovereignty of God announces that God is above or superior to all others. He is chief. He's greatest. He's highest. He's the highest one. He's supreme in power and in rank and authority. No one is greater than our God. No one is greater than our God. We also see in this, right? Uh, we also have saw in this God's sovereignty in how he predetermines events. And we saw that in a few verses that we've been reading earlier, which I will uh, pick up on in the next episode when we talk about providence and how it relates to sovereignty. So we see this, that he's predetermines events in creation and how he executes what he has predetermined. All right. We see that. We also see the sovereignty of God and how he controls even the smaller things in our lives. Now, I'm definitely going to be touching on this uh, next week in providence because we're going to see it. Oh, it's banging, y'all. I can't wait. Um, and we're going to see, so with the sovereignty of God, it also tells us that he overrules all things and how he will consummate, uh, all things as well too. So creation is moving on to something. And we're going to touch on that in Providence. We see the sovereignty of God and his grace towards sinners too. He extends sovereign grace to us when we were dead in our sins. And that's banging y'all, man. He, he did that. when We were dead in our sins. Not looking for him, not having to care for him at all. Our God is in the heavens. His throne is established and his kingdom rules. Therefore, he does what he pleases. He does what he pleases. Amen. So by way of application, this should really uh, booster our prayer, our prayer lives. Really realizing that like the one who we're praying to is the sovereign one. 
He hears us and he wants us to pray to him. This should really uh, help us in our trials, you know, letting us know that like, hey, we, we shouldn't fret. Even when we feel some type of way, fret not for the evildoer because they will be, they will fade away. And the Lord reigns and he will take care of them. And also, this really should uh, uh, help us in understanding um, how to, uh, what's going on in the world right now, that he, rule, that he rules and he reigns over all the affairs in the world. So I just want to end this uh, uh, episode with just a quote from Paul Washer. I started off with Paul Washer quotes. I want to end with Paul Washer. See, when speaking about the attributes again, and we can connect this with this, he says, most people say, that's not my God. I never heard God, uh, heard of a God like that. Washer's answer, and this is my answer to this too. When was the last time you studied the God of the Bible or God in the Bible? The most deceptive thing is to give you a God that is half of a God or to give you the picture uh, um, of give you a half picture on the one side of the coin. And this is dangerous, y'all. This is dangerous. OK, so uh, and I feel like so many give this, this half uh, coin one half of the picture in most of our American preaching in churches today. Could it be that part of the reason why God has allowed the world and this country to suffer? And I mean, think, think of the, think of judges, uh, Israel sp uh, spiraling down into deeper and deeper forms of sin. Think about them. I think that this is the reason why the world, that the Lord is allowing the world to suffer in this kind of way, because we don't know God as Peter Warren's judgment begins in the house of God first. So, which makes me think of this, uh, Q&A that I was listening to earlier today from Dr. Steve Lawson. He mentioned a man that came from France to see what made America so great. So this happened in the late 19th century. And this was after they sent the Statue of Liberty to us. Right. Uh, he looked for the greatness of America and couldn't find it in the, in the harbors, in the industry and in the grain fields. And he couldn't find it uh, anywhere. So it was not until he went into the church house and he heard his pulpits, heard her pulpits ablaze with righteousness that I discovered. And this is what the guy says. I discovered the greatness of America. So Lawson goes on to say further that America is great because it is good. If America ceases to be great, it won't be because of the White House. It won't be because of the church. It will be because of the church house. Let me say that again. It will be because of the church house. That's why America is not great. We need to be ablaze with righteousness and proclaiming the word of God. There needs to be a strong remnant that upholds righteousness. And see, after hearing that, y'all, it made me weep. It made me, it grieved me because it is because so many churches that we, that are around are weak in the proclamation of the gospel uh, and in the attributes. Uh, and this is why I think our country is weak today. And I would even say it's because of those reasons why our country and our churches are under judgment. We need to have preachers who can preach on the attributes of God and know him. Not to sound smarter than the next man, but to know him and to proclaim him. We need to be living out these implications uh, of the attributes, especially this bed bedrock doctrine of the sovereignty of God. So let, let, let me let me just pray before we close this off. Father, thank you so much just for. For you and for this podcast, and I ask that like that it may touch someone 
and make people contemplate on what it means for God to be sovereign. And may they go to the scriptures and even the quotes that I had uh, in this as well. It's by the Spirit through the Son, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions or comments or concerns, uh, I'm going to put the uh, um, um, uh, the email onto the uh, the episode so that you can email me or whatever and stuff, and we and we could talk. And Lord willing, I will have uh, Paul Washer or even St Stephen Lawson on one of these episodes one of these days. Grace and peace, y'all, and love you.